Today we begin message number two in our series. I'm excited about this new theme for the year, the quest. Last week we kicked it off with message asking you, are you all in? It's been exciting for me and even personally to watch what is happening in the groundswell of that message and to see people jumping all in and being willing to do whatever it takes to be a Christ follower. Today we're going to go in a another direction and now say, now that we said that, this is how we put our feet to the ground. This is how we put boots on the ground. This is how we put feet on the pavement. This is what God has called us to. I know this to be true because if you look through scripture, we are not supposed to do life alone. We're not supposed to go alone. We're supposed to do it in community. And from the beginning, we see God showing that in creation. He just didn't create Adam. He created Adam and Eve. And so today I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to hopefully let the spirit convict you and prompt you or maybe approve you and your going. That God has designed us to live in community. We were not made to live on a remote island all by ourselves. While there's times we can. I love doing that with my wife and my children. I'm an extrovert by nature, but I recover introvert. As an introvert does, I get out in creation, I have to pull away, but I refresh being with my family in creation and an ocean and a sunrise and sunset and warmth makes it even special, even more. But I love recovering that way. But the enemy works hard at trying to divide us. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to pull you away. He's trying to make you get to a place where you're all by yourself and then he can attack and, and just basically level you for a season. It's true that we can go faster alone. Quite frankly, we can. But we can go farther together. We can go faster alone, but we can go further together. And so all through scripture, Jesus modeled it. We're supposed to do life together. There's nothing more heart-wrenching for me to see someone all by themselves on this lonely island, not feeling the love and support and the one another's that we see in the New Testament. Recently, I saw a video of a man that was all alone, all by himself, longing for his family to love him, longing for them to just give him a touch, longing for, for them just to say, I want to be with you. And even today, as I look across the group today, and I'm thinking those of you who are in the link and those watching via the internet, there are some of you could be in the crowd of people and you are lonely. You are sitting there all by yourself. And sometimes you need someone to walk into your life and put the touch of a hand of humanness on you to say, I see you, I love you, I care about you. Recently, I saw a video of a man that was lonely and he went to extreme measure to get community. Watch this. Hallo Papa, ich bin. Ich wollte nur kurz anrufen und dir Bescheid geben. Wir werden es Weihnachten dieses Jahr wieder nicht schaffen. Wir versuchen es nächstes Jahr und dann klappt es ganz bestimmt. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Papa. Bis bald. Fröhliche Weihnachten, Opa. There goes a day, there goes a week So many goals I had to reach The more I did, the less I cared The more I missed the love you've shared If life is a song, 
Somehow it's sad I don't know the words without your dad You've been on my mind all the time And I miss saying you Home used to be just some walls that I know But the truth of that home means nothing without you Hätte ich euch denn sonst alle zusammenbringen sollen? Every time I watch that, like, I cry because I think of those people that are out there that will go to that extreme measure to say, hey, I'm here. Don't you know that? Every time I do a funeral, I'm reminded of that when I, when I go to viewings or I stand by the casket of someone who's passed. And I've said this to my wife on many occasions and we've talked about it. Why is it? That people wait till someone dies to say, I love you, I remember you. Why is it that we've become so busy? Why is it that the only time for some of us in a year to tell someone, I see you, I'm proud of you, I love you, is at a funeral? And why is it during a funeral service that often you'll have an open mic time and someone will walk up And they'll say all these great things about this person. He did this, he did that. And, but they didn't take the time to tell him why they were alive. Why is it that it takes a death to tell someone how much you appreciate them? See, maybe we believe the lie. Maybe we believe the lie that it's okay to do life alone. Maybe we believe the lie That the American way is you just work your way to the top and you mow over everyone to get there. Often I get to the end of a funeral service, I'll walk by the casket and I'll say something like this. I'll look at it and if I know the person, I'll, I'll say, I'll see you again, buddy. Especially if they know Christ, because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I'll say something like this as I scan the crowd. How many of you would like to say I love you one more time? How many of you would love to just hug that person one more time? How many of you would like to say, I want you, I need you, thank you? And then I'll say something like this. I'll say, you can. Because one day, if you know Christ, you'll see this person again in heaven. But often when I pull away from that setting and I'm driving to the gravesite, these thoughts come to me and I see this long train of cars with family members. And they got the little flag on their car and And they're driving to the gravesite. And I often wonder how many of those people drove as far as they did today while that person was alive to say, I love you. I appreciate you. I thank you. My hope is this today. My hope is this this year. That that's the people 
that we used to be, that we become people who, who, who take the human touch and touch someone's shoulder and that we get on our cell phones and we say, hey, I love you. We call someone up and actually have a conversation on the phone. We actually drive 500 miles and maybe spend 10 minutes just because we can. What would happen if we began to live life that way in the marketplace? What would happen on the assembly line at work if we just took time during our break instead of getting away? We walked over to the guy that we noticed he had slumped shoulders or the gal who has tears running down her face at break time and we say, hey, What's up? You know, I always encourage people to very simply, if you know someone that has passed, if you know someone that has died, let me tell you what happens. There are people who know that person well. They visit their gravesite regularly. They might go once a month, every six months. They might go on their birthday. They might go on a special occasion. They might even go once a year. And they go to this gravesite to remember this person. I encourage you, why not go too? Why not even go before them and just if the spirit leads you to kneel down at that gravesite and take a little three by five card or a note and write these words on it. We remember too. You see, what would happen if we lived in community where we genuinely cared about people and we loved them so much that we were willing not to just talk about it, but show them? Today, you're going to see four men. They did that very thing. They sacrificed. They did whatever they can for their friend to get him to Jesus, just to show him that we love you enough to get you to Jesus. Grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And if you need a Bible today, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, it's a gift from Grace Community Church to you. But open up your Bibles or your mobile devices and turn to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 12. When you find that, stand with me and we'll read it out loud together. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, please stand as we read God's word. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, tear up, take your mat and go home. He got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. 
This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. You have a seat. As we jump into this text today, this story, this true story, it's very obvious that if we make room for Jesus, miracles can happen. If we get people close to Jesus, life change happens. If we walk in community with Jesus, life change happens. Yet sometimes when we read these accounts, we miss the very obvious. Sometimes we can gloss over. We miss the very obvious about this story. And here's what I think often gets overlooked in this account. Think about this with me, if you will. There was a family that said, yes, you can preach in my house. Now, you might say, well, that's not very, why, why is that, why do we ever look that? Let me ask you a question. How many of you would even open up your home to a Bible study? How many of you would open up your home to a mob of people, thousands coming to Goshen? How many of you knew that there was this preacher, Jesus was coming? Imagine if you could, Jesus is coming. And as he's coming to your community, you look at all these people. There was someone that said, you can come into my house. You can bring your muddy shoes on my white carpet. You can stand with your foot on the wall in my house. You can stand in the flower beds and I don't care. Some of us would be more upset about our grass getting turned sideways than someone hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. These people who own this home were willing to open their house. You heard me say last week that God himself says that he scans the universe looking and seeking for whose hearts are wholeheartedly committed to him. And so as he looks through the community, would he stop at your house? Would Jesus look, there's, there's a household, there's a dad, there's a mom, there's a son, there's, there's a single, again, dad, there's a single, again, mom, there's a single whose heart is committed wholeheartedly to me. This must have been one of these men because you know, when the text says there was a crowd, there was a crowd. One translation says that they were pressed up against each other. In other words, they were so tight. I can, I'll give you an analogy. One time I was standing in line for Washington Redskin football tickets. It was the NFC Championship game, and they were given tickets out. Season ticket holders had handed in their tickets. And so the gates would open that morning. We camped out all night, and finally the gates were open six, at 6 a.m. So we began to work our way in this line. And when I, every time I read this, it says they were pressed against each other. There was a moment when I was standing in line to get a Redskin ticket, I was standing and my feet weren't hitting the ground. That's how pressed it was. So I get this picture that there's a large crowd. How many of you would be more concerned that somehow that maybe a picture fell off the wall? How many of you would be so concerned that there would be footprints in your carpet? The obvious gets missed sometime in this account. Before the men could bring this man to Jesus, someone opened up their house and said, Jesus, I make room for you. Last week I asked, would he stop at your house? This week I asked you again, has your home become a place that you live in such a meticulous way that you wouldn't bring a messed up person home and sleep on your bed? Would you be willing to let Someone that's messed up walk into your house so that they could hear about Jesus Christ. It also made me realize that 
If Jesus is present in a group of people, you don't need advertisement. Like, I often think about that, about grace community. Lord, I say, God, may we always be a community of people. God, when someone hits the bottom rung in life or they're looking for hope, that they run to grace community, that they run to you because they know that you have been with Jesus and they can find Jesus there. If Jesus is alive and well, we don't need to advertise him. We've already done it with our lives. I also asked some other questions as I was looking at this text this week. How many homeowners are more concerned about their home they live in than the people who live next to them? I want to ask you a real personal question. How many of you know the names of your neighbors? Well, they just moved in nine months ago. Or they're 800 feet down the road. We don't live in a a neighborhood. Well, you know, your legs do move. And your car does drive. And they do have a driveway. You know, how do you do that? You go out in your driveway and you turn your key to the right. And you put it in reverse like we do. And you back up and you drive down the road. And there's this little thing called driveway. You drive your car, you put your signal on and you turn in. And then at the front of a house, there's this thing called door. And you walk up and you knock on door. And you say, hey, I'm the neighbor that lives a half mile down the road. I drive by here all the time. I just wanted to see who you were. I just wanted to say hi. When's the last time you've even done that? Some of us are more concerned about our homes than we are the people who live next to us. I've also wondered this as I looked at this text. I wondered how the man reacted as his house was torn apart. Think about that. Now, imagine that. Not only did you invite him in, he had no idea that by the end of Jesus preaching that the plaster would be on the floor that the rain would be able to fall into his home. I wonder if as the man came into that house, if he began to scream, stop, stop, stop. I don't see that anywhere. All I see is Jesus speaking, men dropping this mat into this room, and the homeowner not doing anything but agreeing with it. This homeowner understood that we are more blessed to give than to receive. I wonder how many of us would respond the way this homeowner did. I also know this from the text today. There was four friends that were willing to do whatever they could to reach or get their friend to Jesus. Here's what I know to be true. I'm 54 years old. I know this from my own personal life. I know this from watching other lives. And I know this from watching people. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The people you hang with will directly impact your life. You become who you spend time with. You even begin to dress like them. You even begin to talk like them. You even begin to do what they do. The people you hang with will determine your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me these four friends, I saw healing in this man's future. The people you hang with directly impact your life. I heard Chuck Swindoll say this week on a broadcast, he said, critics run with critics. It's so true. You're impacted by the people you run with. Encouragers run with encouragers. 
Addicts run with addicts. Drinkers run with drinkers. Rebels run with rebels. Risk takers run with risk takers. All in people run with all in people. And so the people you hang with will determine your future. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. You are prone to run and I am prone to run to sameness. So we fish for those kind of people. We are more prone to run to sameness than otherness because we like what we like. So we look for people who like what we like. Yet in scripture, I see in Philippians chapter two, Jesus said we should have his mind. Paul said we should have the mind of Christ that we should place the interests of others above ourselves. So how do we run to sameness? We fish for people that are similar to us. Just look at social media. It's loaded with people wanting to support them in their misery. Have you ever noticed? Watch, watch, watch who responds to what someone posts. Someone posts misery, misery people like it. Someone posts an encouraging statement, encouragers like it. You will never find a misery person liking an encouraging comment. They will soon tell you all the reasons why that's not true. We run to sameness. And so many of us, who we are, is we are the people we run with. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, Bad company corrupts good character. That's why it's so important as parents. So very important as parents. To help our kids see. If you're in a relationship with friends, make sure that you run with the right people. Now hear me. Make sure also if they're running with someone who needs Jesus, that they're strong enough to influence them so that that person running with them comes like them. Bad company corrupts good character. So we run to sameness. I said it this way recently. You know, I think about uh, out of the heart, you know, we speak. I say out of the overflow of the heart, social media speaks. Just does. Look at posts that people put. That comes from the heart that lets you know what's happening inside of them. We are to keep the interests of others above our own. By the way, that can be quite frankly painful at times. Life was never meant to be about us. So what's that mean as husbands? That means we look at our wives and say this, honey, I love you. What is it that you're interested in? How can I place my interests, your interests above mine? It's wives looking at their husbands and saying, I would rather do this, but this time, let's do what you want. It's looking at our children instead of letting our schedule run our day and say, hey, what are you interested in? I failed many times and so have you. But when we begin to place the interests of the ones that we love the most above our own, there is community, there is harmony, there is unity, and the person feels deeply loved. As parents, one of the things we tried to do with our kids and still try to do, we knew their love languages from a very early age. As early as possible, we found out their love languages. And so Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah have 
number one primary different love languages. And so from very little, I'm talking two, three years old, we were pouring in. We knew early on that, that the love language of Isaiah was touch in words of affirmation. We touched him often. We held him. We, we spoke into his life. And so doing that helps us show love to them. I encourage you to do the same with your children. Besides, God said it best. This week I had one of those aha moments in scripture. I pray for that often. Lord, just, I pray God that the scripture that I read wouldn't just become just the same old, same old. Because it could happen pretty easily where it just becomes, just because I read his word, it can become rote memory. But the Holy Spirit, I ask him, Holy Spirit, let it be alive in my heart. So this week as I was reading, thinking about community, I went back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And I understand the context there. Adam was created. And God saw him, he was all alone. He said, you know what, Adam? It's not good for you to be alone. So the text says, he created a woman, a suitable helper was found, and he was able to do life in community. Like, that makes sense to me. It's not good for a man to be alone. And then I asked this question, why? Okay, why isn't it good for a man to be alone? And then I asked this question, what does that mean for someone who's been called to singleness? What's that mean for a single gal who's, who's in her 20s and 30s and still single? What's that mean for a single guy who's in his teens and 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s? It's not good for that man or woman to be alone. What does that mean? It means that they need community. I also know this to be true. For those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we make some of the worst decisions in our loneliness. I would say this. We make our worst decisions and most sinful decisions when we're all alone. We have an enemy. If the metaphor in scripture is used, he's a lion seeking who he may devour. And you know what a lion does? You know how a lion attacks? He waits often until the prey is off by themselves from the pack. He sees them in weakness, and often you'll see this prey that maybe it's sick or not feeling well, and it can't keep up with the pack. And the lion is crouching at the door, and he watches. And you know what the lion does? He comes, and he attacks when we're weak. And when we're weak, we're more prone to fall. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Think about your own personal life. How many times have you fallen? Men, how many times have you, those of you who struggle with pornography, how many times have you given it? How often do you view pornography with your wife over your shoulder? How often do you do that drug addiction when someone else that loves you deeply, that will call you out, that's in the room? We make some of the worst decisions when we're by ourselves. That's why God said, it was like this week, wow, that's why. Because we're not made. We are made, scripture says, to do life together, devote to one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, spur one another on. You can't spur another man on if you're not close to him. And so God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So I began to think about Grace Community Church and in our world that we live in. 
And I began to think about some scenarios of being alone. And I would say it this way. It's not right for people to eat every meal by themselves. I started thinking about people God brought to mind. Like they go home to an empty house every night. They probably don't even cook, but they're tired. They worked all day. And some of us, I get to come home to a hot cooked meal because my wife is precious. And she makes our place a home of refuge. And so many times I take that for granted. I just don't stop and say, honey, you did it again. Thank you. Yes, some of you go home every night to an empty house. It's not good to eat every meal by yourself. It's not right for a family member to be left alone in a nursing home by himself. Have you ever walked into nursing homes and watched these people who are precious? At one time were vigorous and had life. Maybe dementia or Alzheimer or some other sickness has stricken their body. And they sit in the hallways with their heads slumped. It breaks my heart. It's like, that's not right. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not right for a person to be without helping hands in a time of crisis. It's not right for a man to be left alone when his wife leaves him. It's not right for a person to be alone in prison. Didn't Jesus say, I was, I was in prison, yet you didn't visit me. It's not right to have no one to confess your sins to. The Bible says in James, we should confess our sins to one another. There's something powerful that happens in accountability. So I have such a passion to have men in mission together. And now we, even our women, the same passion is there. Do you have a friend that you can confess your sins to? It's not right to not have someone to confess your sins to. It's not right for a person to have no one to laugh and cry with. I mean, isn't it fun to laugh, but isn't it much better to laugh with other laughable people? I mean, how many times have you been in a setting and the only reason you're laughing is because they're laughing? There's something powerful about community. Have you ever sat with Ed or, or Larry Boyce? I mean, I, I can be with it. I don't even know, need to know what the conversation is. They could be at the corner of the church and I hear them laugh. You know what? I, I start laughing. It's not right to laugh and cry alone. It's not right to call ourselves Christians and shut our eyes to the cries of the poor in our world. Like when you see these refugee situations, like, or, or, and you say, oh, it's, they keep talking about the Syrians. They keep talking about ISIS. They keep talking about uh, uh, Africa. They keep talking about Haiti. They keep talking about Dominican Republic. They keep talking, are you so callous like that your heart doesn't even respond to it? It's not right. For you to not be pouring into someone else's life. Genesis or Matthew 28 says we should be making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things just as I've commanded you. It's not right to, now listen to me, for you to choose to alienate yourselves from others. Now listen to me, those of you who struggle, and maybe you're there right now. And you're feeling maybe depression and cabin fever has overwhelmed you. And, and maybe you, you got this bitterness because you look at someone who's married and, and you're like, God, maybe you're mad at God. Listen to me, please don't alienate yourself from community. The best thing you can do is to put yourself with a caring group of people and you'll find healing there. It's so easy to be overrun by our own desires. It really is. It's so easy to be overrun by them. Time is precious. 
Yet nothing brings me more satisfaction than helping others grow and win in this life. And I know it does for you too. I watch some of you. You spend hours in small groups and we were in Iraq and Cam Troy was sharing how he loves being in the Creekmore small group. He loves that community that takes place, that life-giving love that's taking place. We, we flourish in community. You must push yourself in community. We should be so tired at the end of the day by helping others that when we put our head on the pillow at night, we rest deeply and soundly. At the end of every decision that you'll make, at the end of every decision that you'll make, Today, tomorrow, is a person, is a relationship. When is the last time when you were in the marketplace, when you saw that gal who's on the assembly line quiet and she pulled away at lunch and was crying, when's the last time you went up and said, hey, I noticed, and you just touched her. The touch of humanness is powerful, and we're seeing this in this text today. These four men also had jobs, I'm sure, Yet they are willing to help this man be healed. We must love one another, one author said, or die. (laughs) We must love one another or die. I love these men in this story. You know why? Because they challenge me. They convict me. They inspire me. They make me want to be a better man of God, a better friend. And I even prayed this week, Lord, help me be the kind of man that helps people live to their redeemed potential and where they leave my presence and they're filled with hope. These four men would not be denied. And we see it in this text. These men were stretcher bearers and it had to be difficult. By the way, have you ever tried to carry a stretcher in a large group of people? Like it's hard enough By the way, if you ever see someone carrying a stretcher, they're taking them to be healed, taking them to find help. You just don't see people out walking on the street with a stretcher. Hey, let's go carry somebody. They're taking someone to find help. So when you see that happening, stop and pray. But have you ever gone to a large sporting event when people were pressed against you or or a worship venue or a large conference? Imagine trying to navigate through pressed, pressed means people to people, shoulder to shoulder, side to side, back to front, trying to navigate a mat. And I'm sure there were moments along the way because it says that the crowds followed Jesus and they could probably see the house. Well, he's probably in there. And there was probably this look of disappointment as this man laid on this mat thinking, I'm not going to get there. They could have stopped and said, well, we got you as far as we could. These men would not be denied to get their friend to Jesus. You see, everyone will be on a stretcher at some point and we need stretcher bearers. Maybe it's a physical ailment. Maybe you've had an emotional breakdown. Maybe you have an addiction. Maybe you're on the fringes of a divorce. Maybe you lost your job this week. Maybe your two jobs can't pay the bills. Maybe it's beyond your control because you have this critic that is spreading false reports about you. Maybe you are pinned down by a grudge or bitterness that you refuse to let go of and you're in your own prison and you have the key to get out, yet you refuse to. Maybe your heart aches for a child who has wandered from God. Listen to me. Every one of us will be on a stretcher at some point. 
Every one of us needs some brothers and some sisters that will walk into our life and show humanness and the love of Christ. We need the touch of love. That's why God said, man should never be alone. You see, in us, God has built this desire for community. God has designed us to live in community and the power of a human touch is often unmatched. So is a word. Proverbs 15, 23 says this, how good is a timely word. Have you ever gotten that word? Like, have you had a bad day and it's been hard and you're laying on the stretcher and, and maybe your friend calls you up. Maybe it's a text and it just says this. I just want you to know that I love you and I'm praying for you. I can't tell you how many times those words in the midst of my day, someone sends this note that says, and it's not even prompted. See, we often, we're, we're reactive prayers. We react to prayer. Someone says, I have a need. We react to prayer. I think we should initiate prayer and encouragement. How many of you don't pray until someone asks? How many of you don't even see the needs and your eyes are so focused on yourself that you don't even see, like you don't even see the eyes of people. Ask the Holy Spirit to be able to be sensitive that you look up, man, what's up, man? I want to pray for you. We're reactors as prayers instead of initiators. And often it's just a little text. I'm telling you, there have been times as pastor of Grace Community Church, I received one this week from Dick Gingrich out of the blue. I'm sitting in my office and it was a full week. And just these words basically said this, I love you, I'm praying for you. I can't tell you what that did for me. It's the touch of humanness. It wasn't a reactive prayer. It was an initiating prayer. These men initiated and were willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. They didn't worry over how they were going to heal their friend because they knew that Jesus could do that. And he didn't allow it to paralyze them. Think, oh man, we can't do nothing for him. Here's what they did. They concentrated on the secondary issues. They grabbed a stretcher. They carried it. They dug a hole in the ceiling and they were getting him to Jesus. And by the way, do you think that one of them said, dude, this is going to cost us a lot of money. Who's going to fix this hole? They were willing to empty their bank accounts, literally, to pay, to see, so that their friend could get to Jesus Christ. Let me ask this question. What are you doing right now to help someone else find Jesus? Whose stretcher are you carrying right now? For some of you today, it might mean you reveal your pain to another person. For some of you, it, it might mean joining community with people instead of running from them. For some of you, it might require you to take your eyes off your own problems and help someone else. Let me tell you something. If you're struggling, listen to me. I know this from my own personal life. If you're feeling down, and if you just inwardly look at yourself and you're saying, poor me, look at my life. I can't believe, poor me. Here's what can happen. You'll want to withdraw and be all by yourself. But the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. 
push yourself to community. Put yourself, remember, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Put yourself in community, even though you don't feel like coming out to prayer encounter. Push yourself in community, even though you don't want to sit in a small group and hear someone talk about how great their marriage is and yours is struggling. Put yourself in community and say, I'm going to be part of this Valentine's blitz. And you say, Pastor Jim, why would I want to give chocolates on a Valentine's? I'm a lonely heart. Because when you give, you are more blessed to give than to receive. And it does more for you than you will realize. Am I right about that? You see, when you serve someone else in your singleness, in your loneliness, and in your brokenness, you are made whole again. I long for us and for me to value people like Jesus did. I long to see the day that grace community where every woman feels beautiful. Honestly, let me, let me tell you. I pray that regularly over the, you ladies here at grace. And obviously it starts with my daughter, my wife. And I want them to know who they are in Jesus Christ. And they know who they are in Christ. I pray this often when I think about grace. I think, Lord, help our ladies to know that before the foundation of the world, that you chose them to be their daughters. Oh God, help our ladies to know that you tell us in Psalm that you are enthralled with their beauty. That when you see them, you're like, woo, woo. Help them to understand that their identity is in you and the stamp of Christ and the heirship of God is in their future and that they don't need a thing or a man or anything else to feel valuable. Oh God, help them to see that. I pray often that women would feel beautiful and I long to see the day that men feel significant and we find our identity in Jesus instead of our accomplishments or our trophies. I pray for those kinds of things all the time for men and women to see themselves the way Jesus sees you as dangerously valuable and beautifully significant. Listen to me, please hear me. You are precious in the sight of the Lord. Do you realize that even that scripture tells us in Psalms, it says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He sees it as a beautiful thing when you're going home. He's like, come home, come home. I can't wait to hold you close. I was reminded though recently that many ladies, and I pray it's not you today, still struggle with their identity still don't know who they are. And my prayer is this, that this year, you know who you are. I watched this a few weeks back and it broke my heart. And I pray, oh Lord, help our women to see themselves as beautiful. Watch this. It was my choice. And now I will question myself for the next few weeks, maybe months. We had an option of two pathways to walk, and they led to two doorways. It was a bit confronting, actually, to be honest, to see these big signs and feeling like you had to choose and be self-conscious of 
how you perceive yourself and perhaps if it lines up with how the rest of the world perceives you. I went through the average door. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't even hesitate. 漂亮对我的概念来说，就是，啊，像，呃，明星那种遥不可及的那种。我走的是一般。Mas eu acho que é mais porque eu me arrependi da escolha porque era diferente do que eu vivo, é diferente do que eu do que eu sou. Am I choosing because of what's constantly bombarded at me, what I'm being told that I should? accept or am I choosing because that's what I really believe I walked into that door which said average and I didn't feel really good after that because obviously I had rated myself average and nobody else todos os dias eu passo pela porta comum e ontem foi um dia único e eu optei por passar pelo bonita I wanted to go through the average door but my mom just pulled me over to the beautiful door <laughs> triumphant feeling. It was like telling the world, I think I'm beautiful. I just wish more young women realized it. I think I would walk through the beautiful door. I think a porta bonita tá completamente aberta para mim. Maybe, maybe I could walk in that door. You can. Next time I look into the mirror, I will see somebody really beautiful looking back at me. Beautiful is a great word. So why not see what's on the other side of that? It breaks my heart, though. Where have we missed something as Christ followers? Ladies, God, the creator of the universe, now think about this. Before he even made Adam and Eve, before he created the world, he went to this list of potential people, the people who would ever live, and he went through the name of list of names, and he found your name. And he says, you, young woman, you're going to be my daughter. And the Bible says he chose, he adopted, he picked you as his daughter, the God of the universe. Put you in his family. Listen to me. You don't need anything else but that. Jesus is enough. So listen to me. Every time you walk to that mirror and you ask yourself this question, am I beautiful? 
The answer is, God is saying, listen to me, daughter. I am enthralled with your beauty. I am enthralled with your beauty. You, young lady, you, elderly lady, you, beautiful girl, you are mine. And for those of you who didn't have a father to tell you that, listen, you have a good, good father who loves you way more than any earthly father could ever do. Wouldn't it be beautiful? I thought this week and I prayed as I was walking through this message, oh Lord, if you bring that to Goshen, Indiana and you take it to the Concord Mall and there's two doors, I want to see ladies from grace. You run and you giggle and you scream running through that door and you do your girly scream because you are beautiful in the sight of God. These four men were trying to show their friend that he was valuable. Their faith and his confession healed him. Their faith and his confession of sin brought healing. In fact, look what it says in chapter 2. Look at verse 6. It says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, verse 8, knew in his spirit This was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you what? What's it say? Thinking. Come on, look, look at verse eight. Why are you what? Thinking these things. Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he told him, pick up your mat and go home. Jesus calls them out. Can you imagine for a second? They're, they're, they're at this service. They got that look. I'm going to find out what's wrong with these people. I'm going to tell Jesus that, that he isn't Messiah. So meanwhile, everyone else is there. And they're excited at Christ there. And there's this group. The only thing they look at, they have the critical spirit. They're going to find out what's wrong with this church. They're going to find out what's wrong with this preacher. They're going to find out what's wrong with this mission. They're going to find out what's wrong with the way this program is handled. They're going to find out everything they can that's wrong. Instead of missing the very obvious, a healing just took place. So he asked him, why are you thinking these things? Can you imagine? Like, how'd you know? Well, I'm Jesus. You don't think I am, but I am. And I know what you're thinking. I heard this truth recently about religious people, and it really struck me. This author said, the church is not lacking hypocrites. We are lacking disciples. And then this author said this, Jesus reminds us that all the hypocrite positions are already taken. (laughs) Faith should never be discouraged by the difficult. If we can see how it'll work out the way, then it's not faith. These men, faith would ultimately be the way for him to be healed. I wondered this too, as I thought through this text, how many of these religious people couldn't even rejoice when this man got up and walked? Like how many of them were in the crowd? Like this guy who came in paralyzed, he got off the mat and he just walked out. How many of them couldn't even rejoice because they were focused on the way, the color of the carpet? 
They were focused on that. They were singing hymns and weren't singing hymns. They, 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 they were focused on how they did that program. They were focused and how, and someone just got healed that was paralyzed, yet they couldn't even rejoice. Listen, don't be those religious people. Then the text says this in verse 11. Look what happens. I tell you, get up, take your mat. We don't know his name, but Matt would be a good name. So Matt got up. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I believe it's possible for one act of obedience to turn into someone else's miracle if we're willing to carry the stretcher. I I was trying to visualize. Can you imagine? He's on this mat. And God, and God says to him, Jesus says to him, get off the mat, take up your mat. And walk. He's like, Jesus, I've never, I don't know how to do that. It's been a while. Get off your mat. Your sins are forgiven. The faith of your faith and the faith of your friend, you're going to walk. Can you imagine that first step? It had to have been scary. Like, have you ever taken the first step across ice that you're not sure it's, it's going to be able to hold you? You know what I'm talking about, guys? Have you ever done that? That first step? It's like that first step. Can you imagine like, Okay, I believe in you, Jesus. Jesus, I worship you, but can I practice when no one else is here? He had this whole crowd. Can you imagine the eyes? Has these guys looking down at him. His friends are looking in. Now, it's go for broke or, look, or not have faith. Can you imagine that first step off the side of the mat? It's like a little kid, your child, if you've ever raised children, that first step they take had to be a beautiful sight. I've often wondered this too. What it must have been like to have been there. Like I wonder if it happened in our circles, if we would be blown away. We're saying, I can't they believe they did that in church. They actually asked someone and prayed that God would heal somebody. God doesn't heal people today. Well, let's have a talk. Have you ever wondered what it was like as, as the plaster began to fall on the floor? Can you imagine being seated there and all of a sudden this man was dropped into your, in your lap? Can you imagine what it must have been like to say, oh man, this person come walking into your auditorium and as you look up, can you imagine what it was like that first time when this guy who was paralyzed came walking into your church and your house? Can you imagine as you looked up and all you saw was eight eyes? They're lowering the rope. You saw the eyes like, and the people began, they began to move and they saw this man who couldn't move and Jesus pressed his way through and he looked at him. He said, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. But I believe this with all of my heart. Someone had to get him to Jesus. Like he came into the room. Would you be willing to carry that mat? Would you carry that mat to get him to Jesus? Would you do that? Would you carry that mat? Carry it. Would you do it? Carry it. Would you take him to Jesus? Carry it. Would you be willing to t- take this man and get him to Jesus? Would you be willing? Would you bring him right up in front of everybody? Can you imagine as the people were in this house? And they thought, oh man, something's going to happen. Can you imagine the man? Bring him right on over here. You see, the only way this man was healed was because of the faith of his friends. The faith of his friends. 
And because he was willing to let Jesus forgive him of his sins. Let me ask you a question. As I look at this passage this week, I ask this question. When you look at this text and ask this question, what four friends do you have that you know would carry your stretcher? Could you even, like, think about that now. Look at this text. I want you to do something. I want you right now to write down the name of four friends, to highlight it in your mobile version. Say, here are four friends. I know they would carry my stretcher. Then I want to ask this question. As God scanned Goshen and Elkhart and Kosciuszko and LaGrange and, 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 and Michigan and Ohio and as he scanned all the houses. And somehow we were able to put this on social media, this question. If you were on a stretcher, who would carry your stretcher? Let me ask you this question. Would anybody write your name? Oh God, break our hearts. Listen, we're not meant to do life alone. There's someone on the stretcher. It might be you. And if it isn't you, it's someone else. We need to do life for each other. I want you to think about that as I pray. And as the worship team comes out and just sings, just sit there and listen to these words. But I want you to continue to let the Spirit of God ask you the hard stuff. Would you bow your heads? God, I pray in this moment, Lord, this is so convicting. I wonder, Lord, that if our name would appear in the margin of someone's Bible, I says, yeah, they would be a stretcher bearer. God, I pray that the Bibles in this community and our world would be lettered with our names. I pray, God, that we'd be the kind of people that would be willing to walk into a mess and that we would place the interests of others above our own then and only then will the world be wanting to Jesus because people need that kind of love. So God, I ask right now as we listen to the song that you would affirm us, challenge us, convict us, the Holy Spirit, tell us this afternoon who we need to call, who we need to visit, who we need to tell. Listen, I'll carry your stretcher. I want you to know, help us not to be reactive, but to be initiators active. In Jesus' name, amen.